We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we started doing virtual visits. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast for Thursday, October 29th. I am your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. We are a couple days from Halloween. We are into the midway point of the NFL season. Mario, before we dive into uh, the, the slate for this week, have you seen any good scary movies this month? Uh, yeah, man. Uh, the thing called. U.S. Congress. Yeah, the re- the real Halloween's on Tuesday, folks, November third. Yeah, that's what it, that too. That's what I meant. Um, no, I'm not really a scary movie person. Uh, I don't like being scared. I think is the reason. But as as, far, as close as I get is just stuff like shows like Carnival and Twin Peaks. I guess. Okay. Yeah. That that one. Uh, the new season of Twin Peaks. The one episode that really goes deep depths that that one made me uh, profoundly uncomfortable um, yeah that's about the closest i can get to horror stuff when it turns into you know these <sighs> decaying corpses and uh you know the, like i when, when i saw the ring i had uh like first of all i stopped watching it after like 10 minutes and then also i had nightmares about it for just like years yeah yeah that one really scared me there was another one that came out around that same time it wasn't the ring um like the 
the jinx or like the curse or something. Oh, isn't that a uh, the grudge? Yeah, I don't know. That, is that even is that like a variation of the ring? I can't remember. I thought there was a thing where it's like it was called something in Japan and then called something else here. It, it was, yeah. It, well, ring. There was Ringu, and then I think there was the ring. I think okay. that that was like the American version of it, and then I, I think the grudge might have also. Um, yeah, but it been like based off of yeah. that. Yeah, the little cat boy terrifying oh god no i didn't i definitely didn't see this one and I, I intend to keep it that way smart smart i watched uh a friend of mine re- recommended this uh this stephen king adaptation that's on netflix called uh gerald's game i watched that last night that does not sound scary gerald um, sounds like a you know it doesn't sound like a scary guy name uh, who's scared of a jeffrey um but no it was um it wasn't like terrifying but Boy, there's some there's some gore stuff in there that uh, I'm still cringing uh, more than more than 15 hours post fact. So it's still got a little bit of of, uh, shivers up my spine about that. Um, One other thing I want to mention uh, before we dive into this week's slate. If you haven't checked it out yet over on rotowire.com, we whipped up this really cool new page. It's like a adjusted strength of schedule metric. You can go, it's right under the the fantasy football banner. Um, It's called Schedule Strength. Check that out. It gives you rest of the season uh, strength of schedule for each position group for fantasy. So quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, tight ends, even kickers. It's got your strength of schedule um, adjustments there. Um, It's got color-coded, and then it's got graphics all the way down. It's really, really slick. I highly recommend checking it out. I think it's going to illuminate some guys that maybe their their uh, sell-high windows are closing, uh, maybe some buy-low candidates um, as well. We know that Jonathan Taylor has maybe slipped a little bit con- uh, compared to where we thought he would be after week one taking over. Uh, turns out that he has the best runway ahead of him as far as strength of schedule goes the rest of the season, that kind of thing. So it, it helps you measure those things out and, and get a better, better grip um, on the field in the way that the rest of the season could play out on a position-by-position position basis. So highly recommend that page. Uh, but Mario, we always break down the, the entire slate, so I say let's continue doing that. We got a Thursday night game in the NFC South. We got the Falcons going up against the Panthers. The Panthers two-point favorites in this one, minus 125 on the money line. The over-under checks in at 51. Panthers have obviously been playing a lot higher than, than baseline. The, the Falcons um, really have just kind of cratered this year. It, but again, if you're a Falcons fan, you're kind of happy that you lost that game. If, if you're really in tank mode, if, if the GM and, and that the house cleaning is really going on in Atlanta, a win against the Lions wasn't really going to help you in, in your tanking endeavors. So um, kudos to them for competing. Uh, Todd Gurley always seems to have some end game drama near the near the end zone. It's happened before, probably will happen again. Um, but anyway, let's get into this matchup uh, with the Falcons going up against the Panthers. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts here? Well, it's a little bit tough for me to figure out what I think of this matchup, if only because I still don't know what I think about the Panthers and I can't tell what their tendencies might be. They might be a a team that's more fluid week to week than some others. And especially on defense, I can't tell if they've really like I can't tell if they're kind of tinkering with things as the season goes along or if it's all part of a week to week plan when they do things a little different. Like, for instance, when they began the year, they weren't really using a nickel corner that much like Corn Elder was their nickel corner and he played something like 20 snaps in the first two games. And they were kind of just going with more of like a, 
I assume like four four kind of look, something like that, or, or rather a four three like the, the whole game, but with like a, an extra rover being Jeremy Chin, something like that. And uh, now though that Corn Elder is playing uh, about as much as most teams use their nickel defenses, the the Panthers have been using their nickel defense lately, and Elder has been on the field getting good PFF uh, grades. So maybe they you know didn't plan on using him, have started using him, and he did well, so they stuck with it. Uh, and I just can't tell if they're if they're liable to change things, especially with the 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 fluctuation in their defensive back personnel. I don't know if that'll lead them to consider different looks week to week. And if it's in response to the opposing team's receiver personnel, and especially when it's, you know, a Julio Ridley tandem, you know, maybe they bring out a special, you know, bag of tricks for, for that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how much they can really do with Russell Doug- Douglas. I assume is still out with uh, the COVID reserve. And uh, or, uh, if he is out anyway, that would be one guy down Eli Apple. They just kind of cut. Cause I guess he kind of walked, out on them uh okay. so they, they got dante jo- jackson and uh, what a high drama player for someone who's like not even good yeah i kind of respect <laughs> it uh yeah, it's fair. like it's like uh it's i don't know it's 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 making some kind of point it's just like they keep signing him you know so what's uh who's who's losing i don't know uh it's kind of weird like you said and uh he, he had a hamstring i guess then they were saying you should practice on this and he said no I'm going to go home instead. So it's kind of cool. But uh, anyway, they had to turn to Troy pride at outside corner. And he was their fourth round pick from Notre Dame. And he's mm-hmm. like kind of fast, but he's got short arms. So uh, I don't know what they're, I don't know if they're going to have to feel snow. The defensive coordinator is going to have to come up with a new novel look in response to this because they didn't have Julio last time. The, the, the right. Didn't. And if Julio's out there, that changes absolutely everything. Like mm-hmm. I would say maybe Phil snow could get by with some kind of clever, Fangio style scheming with with disguised zone coverages if it was just Ridley engaged but if you if you're out there with Julio and Ridley you you basically need some good corner play some good defensive back play and you can't really scheme your way out of that usually so we'll we'll see I I, I kind of feel like uh Ryan maybe has like a less than dominant game, like a game where he puts up the numbers that his fantasy owners need, but not one where the, the Falcons necessarily win. And I kind of, I kind of feel like the, the Falcons defense has enough problems that uh, we can expect this to be a, at least a decent game out of Teddy Bridgewater. And I don't, do we know if McCaffrey's going to play yet or are they going to, he's considered like, a long shot as, a long shot. Of, as okay. of record time. Well, yeah, Mike Davis can probably uh, do enough against this this uh, Falcons defense. They've been pretty good against the run, but I expect for that reason, uh, you know, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel, probably too much for a lot of cor- uh, corner personnel in the league. But it's certainly a team like the Falcons. They've been, they've been struggling. They just they're a little short on talent and and polish and coaching all. So uh, a, a group like the Panthers receivers should be able to hurt them. And as long as that's the case, I kind of expect Phil Snow and the Panthers defensive scheming to be much better than what the Falcons defense puts forth okay yeah I'm, I'm definitely with you there I think that you know especially based on like where our expectations on the uh, Panthers defense was coming into the season where you know it was kind of just like assumed that this was going to be Not one good. of the worst defenses we ever saw um, they've really come a long way and gelled very well um, in a hurry um, 
And then just one more uh, point on the Panthers. Have you been able to make any sense of this uh, receiver rotation and, and target distribution um, any further? I mean, last week we saw Robbie Anderson lead them in targets once again. We saw DJ Moore drop from 11 to t- targets against Chicago the previous week back down to five. He's seen uh, five um, or fewer uh, several times this year, three times, um, and only above six just a handful of times as well. Um, so is there anything to make of like the recent uh, usage with these uh, Panthers receivers and what it could mean for Thursday? Well, it's not really new, but Robbie Anderson is their number one receiver. They're featuring him with, as in the intention is to make him the wide receiver one. And DJ Moore, probably more talented. Like, I like Robbie Anderson, and I, I would say I thought he was better than probably most people did just because I remember at Temple when he was awesome and he, he turned out to be a really fast as hell. And it's like, well, if you can produce like that and if you run a 4-3-5 or whatever it is at 6-3, I bet you're pretty good. But DJ Moore was, you know, uncommonly productive at Maryland and was doing it at a younger age, better athlete. And he's he makes these explosive plays like last week on less usage than Anderson. But it's like you got to make the usage more even to keep up in the long term. Anderson was generally ahead of him before last week in the fantasy points, I would think. And uh, a couple touchdowns is basically all that's keeping more at pace with Anderson at the moment and like over a bigger sample, Anderson's going to get more touchdowns and, and he's just going to pull ahead unless their target distribution and unless their scheming specifically changes, which uh, I don't know that it will. I mean, rule and Anderson know each other from temple and in, in, I guess, fairness to them, the results have generally been good. I think you would get better results if you put more in Anderson's role, put Anderson uh, kind of, or I guess you could have like more in Anderson kind of just split what has been mostly Anderson's role so far and actually move Samuel into Moore's role. But instead they're using Samuel in the slot on these really short routes while Anderson kind of does the best of uh, the slot and the outside setups and more mostly stays outside with like the highest difficulty routes. Speaking of temple time, uh, DJ Moore, a Philadelphia native, maybe he eschewed a temple offer way back when, and Matt rule still has an ax to grind about it. I think that sounds right. I thank you. Yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs> okay, that is doctrine. Uh, that means it's time to move on to our next game. We're moving on over to Sunday. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. We got Colts, Lions. Two teams I have have a perpetually difficult time figuring out. Uh, Colts coming off the bye, but they still have Phillip Rivers as their quarterback. So I think that's a problem. The Lions... I think they're, you know, a lot of people have been talking about them maybe being set up to to make a bit of a run here, get a uh, stack a few wins against maybe le- less than quality opponents. I don't know if Indianapolis necessarily falls under that category. Uh, that defense is still so good. Um, the run game should be better that, than it has been. I think it, it could start um, as soon as this week to to really click. But again, uh, Philip Rivers is just kind of a, a weight on this offense. Um, so where, where do you go with this matchup in Indianapolis minus three? I don't really know. These teams are both so weird. And I, I guess it's, it's like one of my favorite players on the Colts. Mo Ali Cox is maybe a long shot to play with his knee thing. And even if he was playing, 
Frank Reich just kind of wants to adopt Jack Doyle, so they're they're just going to choose to put a worse player on the field to be to be nice to the player that they know perfectly well is worse. And when you do stuff like that, that kind of lessens the the reflexive faith that I might otherwise have that you're capable of beating a a, a terrible buffoon like Matt Patricia. And and because basically Frank Reich is kind of doing buffoonish things, like and I understand the reasons. Uh, as a coach, you can't separate, you know, totally objectively the player as like a team asset and the player as you know them as a person and and you know senses of loyalty and trust and personal bonds and stuff uh, affect your judgment. But that's still what the judgment is based on, not on results, not on you know objective uh, justification necessarily. So. The Colts aren't good enough of a team to get away with that kind of stuff. Like I think the Chiefs do that. Andy Reid does that with Demarcus Robinson. He must just think he's the the coolest guy in the world or something because he's a terrible receiver and he <laughs> keeps putting him on the field. You can get away with that kind of stuff when Pat Mahomes is your quarterback and you, you do the things that the Chiefs do. Phillip Rivers isn't doing that. Uh, the Colts don't have all that much capital aside from their defense at the moment generally. So um, – it's like they should beat the, the Lions because the Lions are a, a bad team run by very dumb people. But if you're going to tie your hand behind your back, uh, you know, trying to force Jack Doyle, Trey Burton, things to happen, and if Philip Rivers is bringing in the safeties because he can't threaten downfield, uh, then it's like that that makes the Lions better than they actually are, and and you know, it's that that catches up with you eventually. But if Marcus Johnson, I guess, I don't know if that was just kind of like a fluke, Philip Rivers. Uh, I don't know if he was working well with Johnson or if Johnson just kind of had a, things fall the right way. He wasn't a productive player in college at all, and he's not that great of an athlete. He's been pretty good at times in the NFL, but I, I'm generally inclined to assume Johnson is one of those good if you only need to go to him uh, kind of on like a Traquan Smith target rate. Like I assume mm. if you if you try to make him like a central piece of the offense like T.Y. Hilton used to be, you're going to see the returns diminish pretty quick. So I've got these various concerns about the Colts, but – um yeah i don't know it's it's a uh, i guess it's one of those things like i i guess i got to defer to uh the colts defense and like i was i was i think taylor will take off one of these days and maybe maybe this setting is a good enough one and and uh, the difference between the defenses makes up for the defense uh, the difference between the quarterbacks where of course the lions have the advantage but uh, mm-hmm. i wouldn't want to bet on this game I, I kind of hate both of these teams right now yeah they they uh, i'm sure if i like go back and look at my like spread pick history from this year like my worst records are uh, are like with these two teams so hard to, hard to make sense of it uh one other rookie running back to uh to bring up with you uh deandre swift um obviously had the big breakout game a couple weeks back against the jaguars um didn't didn't quite go off the same way against atlanta um what do you make is this a spot where you probably have to leave him on your bench I don't think so. I mean, the the Lions do appear to be intent on wasting more time, more snaps on Adrian Peterson, but man, that's that's going to get real tough to justify. Like Peterson has been useless. He's been terrible all year, and the Lions because they are I guess it's a combination of like Bavel knowing him from Minnesota and Patricia just being like a generally dumb guy and them looking and thinking wow, he looks like a big, burly running back man doing running back things the way you're supposed to. It's like, yeah, well, he's not getting you any yardage. And he's he's a fumbler, so that's going to start happening soon. And once he once Peterson fumbles and we're all staring at that, you know, 10 carries for 17 yards and a touchdown and Swift 
in doing what he's been doing the past couple of weeks. I, I think he'll keep doing that on a per touch basis. So as long as he does that, I think he'll be fine. The question to me is like whether he has room for more. And I do think he does because it doesn't matter how dumb Patricia is. If, if, if the stuff that the last two weeks keeps up, he will go more to Swift and away from Peterson. He might very sheepishly do it. He might need a fumble from Peterson to justify it in his own mind and into the, you know, the people around him. But Swift is so much better than him that even Patricia can't keep this up much longer. Like I, re- I refuse to believe there is a person dumb enough to, to keep standing by Adrian Peterson at 35 years old over DeAndre Swift. It's it's just beyond belief to me. Okay. No more needs to be said then. Let us move on. We got the Vikings going up against the Packers. Packers got right last week. Uh, the Vikings were on on the bye. I'm still angry at Alexander Madison from a couple weeks ago, so that's a personal thing, I suppose. Um, I think Dalvin Cook has a chance to play this week, so that would be um, a a big boost to this uh, Minnesota backfield, of course. Um, Practiced in a limited capacity Wednesday. Don't know what he did yet um, on Thursday. But either way, um, I think whereas earlier in the the season, uh, these two teams have played each other, yes? Uh, yeah, that was like week two, I think, right? That, or oh, it was the season opener where, where Devontae okay. just absolutely crushed it. Um, that's, I knew, I knew that. Um, but this time around, I will say one positive thing for the Vikings that, that wasn't, um, really a factor in the, in the season opener is that Justin Jefferson has broken out. So now, um, we do have two legitimate threats in this, uh, Minnesota passing game and Irv Smith, you know, on limited sample, limited targets seems to be pretty impressive, um, as well. So that should threaten at least a little bit that this Packers secondary a little bit. Um, we, we've talked about how good this Packers secondary is, um, across the board. Um, but at least they have two viable options now as, as opposed to just hoping that, you know, a million targets targets to Adam Thielen what was going to do it yeah it's interesting I know the the Packers used Jair Alexander to shadow Will Fuller last week that was something that they had only done a little bit in week one and I think that might have been Thielen that he, he must have been five and look this up uh, generally the Packers leave Alexander on just the left side if I remember right so mm-hmm. uh last week would have marked like a change in policy if, if, uh, if that didn't happen in week one otherwise. But uh, if the policy changed even so, and even if that week one didn't feature Alexander shadowing Thielen, I would guess this is a pretty good spot for them to do that unless they, uh, unless they imagine that, uh, you know, the, the Vikings will always put one of Jefferson or Thielen on the right side. And therefore it's a break. It's like a no difference sort of thing to the Packers because Jefferson and Thielen are both, good enough to warrant shadowing. Uh, I would think that they would want to reduce the chances of that happening and just have like, have, have uh, Alexander follow around Thielen. Who's like, I know Justin Jefferson's really good, but Thielen is almost certainly still better in my opinion, because just Thielen's that, that good. Uh, I don't know why he, he doesn't really get much more credit for it, but he's, he's, he's like a, you know, Tory Holt level kind of receiver. And he's, he's like one of those guys who will never be the, you know, 12, 15 touchdown, just dominant Megatron type. But he's always doing this 100, 110 catches for 1,300 yards, high catch rate, high high per target yardage, well above the team efficiency always. That's stuff that you do when you're only very good. And mm-hmm. I would I would want I, I would want Jair Alexander on him for the most part if I was the Packers, because uh, I, I don't know what they're going to do with their slot corner, Chandon Sullivan, who seems like their second best corner. Kevin King was out last week and 
uh, a guy who's like a safety corner tweener for them, uh, Will Redmond, I think, was basically the fill-in for King. And I, I'm just going to assume he was better than King because King is always terrible. I don't think he can play at all. So um, I, I don't know how Redmond would do if he was going against Jefferson. Jefferson has the advantage there. Generally, it's more like, can he can he contain him at all? Or, or will it just be like a complete embarrassment? I think it would be an embarrassment if Jefferson wasn't going against King. So I'd, I guess I should look to see if I uh, don't know what his status is for this week. But if King plays, that I think would I would take that as like a green light for Jefferson, it, there's a little bit of a leap of faith in there because I'm just assuming he won't see much of Alexander. But if Alexander shadows Thielen, then Jefferson almost necessarily does something quite useful for fantasy owners, I think, in this sure. game, in DFS tournament type uh, stakes, too. I think it would make a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm, I, I think you laid out a great case there. And it, yeah, this could really end up being a, another blow, blow up spot. Um, for Justin Jefferson. Um, on the other side of this matchup, Devontae Adams just continues to be just tremendous when when healthy. Um, you know, you can write off that, that Buccaneers game. I think that that was like the, the blip on the radar for this season for the Packers in general. Um, so they, they look like they're back on track. Um, Alan Lazard still working his way back as well. So uh, the the group of pass catchers behind Devontae Adams still remains kind that, of uh, uninspiring. Sorry, I don't. The athletic Texans writer, I don't know his name off the top of my head. He was saying the Packers were talking to the uh, the Texans about Will Fuller, so mm-hmm. uh, that makes some sense because I, I think Will Fuller would work really well with Rodgers. I mean, most quarterbacks would oh, probably man. work well with Fuller, but uh, it it's it's it shows what is actually now clear again. I, I, I was going back and forth on it a little bit myself after that big start to the year for him, but Valdez Scantling just can't play really. Like he, he okay. needs to be a wide receiver for who plays like 350 snaps a year, just running fly routes just to get the safeties to turn and run. Uh, Cause even, even in that easy matchup last week, he couldn't do anything, you know? Yeah. I've, I've been skeptical on, on him. Um, at, I, th- I think, you know, it, it was definitely fair to have some optimism. He's got yeah. some tools, but but again, when it comes down to it, he's just not a great player. So it's, you know, it, again, it's one of those things where the Packers do need to, um, he's you know, a, re- he's a Georgia that Tech receiver rece- Old Georgia Tech offense is the only kind of receiver he can play, really. Okay. And that that's not always particularly useful. A Stephen Hill type, if you will. Oh. Oh, there we go. Okay, there, there, there's a name to stick to the, for the comp. Um, and then, what's going on with this Green Bay backfield? Do you think? Well, I, I don't know if it's just because Matt Lafleur is just so charmed by Jamal Williams, or if he's actively trying to conceal AJ Dillon. But it's it's like a it's almost like a smuggling mission. The way that he, they're trying to make Jamal Williams a thing last week, in my opinion. Like I know he played decently. That's that's how he always plays. He's always adequate and not a single shred more and but because he does his uh dance thing pre-game and and says like woo or whatever after carries people think it's just like the the most entertaining thing of all time and it's like i guess be entertained i don't care but like he was running against a bad houston defense last week and he was basically below average against them he had volume so he was useful in fantasy and i know uh, we are we are not to debate uh, real life you know merits of football anymore. It's it's PPR scoring is the truth, and Jamal Williams is an MVP. Uh, at at least last week he was, but like he's just not very good. And and luckily for them, they keep going against these teams that suck. And so the fact that they're doing again that like Demarcus Robinson, 
uh, Jack Doyle thing that I was talking about where these coaches clearly are just like personally fond of a player and, and they put them out there and, and not knowing that they're probably not knowing anyway that they're they're putting their team at a disadvantage by doing it. And for the floor, it's like he keeps going against these hapless idiot opponents who can't threaten the Packers at all. So he doesn't end up paying any price for it. Um, and this is another case of that, I think. Like the even if Aaron Jones is out, I guess at this point I don't have any reason to think AJ Dillon will play because Matt Lafleur wants Jamal Williams to be a thing. And against the Vikings, this is a team that uh, you know probably puts their defense on short fields because of Kirk Cousins' general struggles and turnover tendencies. The defense is not nearly as good as it used to be for a variety of reasons, and it's hard to imagine the 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 kind of hubris of of giving Jamal Williams a, a big workload, even though he's a below average player. It's not going to hurt them here, so I don't know why they wouldn't do it again. Okay. All right, so the the Jamal Williams show marches on for at least another week, it looks like, especially, you know, of course, if Aaron Jones ends up being sidelined. Uh, so the A.J. Dillon frustration also continues. Let's get on. Jamal Williams cannot break tackles. I wish people would notice this. Like he d- he does he is not fast. He's not quick. He doesn't evade anybody. Even as a receiver, he's not good. He just has good hands. And then these these plays are scripted wide open with with open field. And then he goes down at the first tackle every single time. Oh, that's not a not a great quality when when you're a running back. But uh, I guess Lafleur sees it differently. Let's get on over. We got Steelers going up against the Ravens. Ravens coming off the bye. Steelers coming off of that knockdown drag out win over the Titans a week ago. Uh, Roethlisberger threw a few picks in that one. Uh, kind of uh, unexpected. You know, he had only thrown one uh, over his first uh, like 165 attempts on the, on the season. So um, was that regression to the mean for him? Um, or do you think that... Uh, you know, that that was more of like a blip on the radar and the, and the Titans just kind of like have an opportunistic defense that, that could catch him in those type of situations. And how might that apply Sunday against Baltimore? I think there's a few ways the ball could still break here. But to me, it looks like Roethlisberger has lost quite a bit and he's generally running on borrowed time like the it's kind of a case like, again, like Jamal Williams and the Packers, how they, they go with him. And it doesn't hurt them because they're going against bad teams. It's not quite that they're going against bad teams in the case of the Steelers, but it is true to say that their defense has been so good that the the uh, not just like decrease, but just like uh, less than competitive returns. Like it's it's been a net negative, I think, the way Roethlisberger has been throwing the ball, especially against the Titans, of course. But uh, aside from the Denver game, I think he's been pretty bad all year. And even in the Denver game, I feel I feel like I remember him having a rough first half. So I, I basically am picturing like two good quarters out of Roethlisberger this year. And you look at some of the stuff, the way they've structured the offense so far, especially Deontay Johnson. It's like he's got 41 targets on 193 snaps. And because PPR scoring is truth and because fantasy, especially like DFS, uh, you know, dopamine surges and and posting festivities is all where we determine truth nowadays. Deontay Johnson is the best receiver of all time. This is known. But uh, you look at his actual stats and it's like, oh, well, 24 catches on 41 targets for 227 yards and three touchdowns. That's a lot of targets for a lot of the targets, man. For digging, it's basically like digging a hole for the offense the way that they're using him right now because you're getting a catch rate of 57.1% on a 5.5 yards per target. Like just just multiply that catch rate by that yardage amount and like imagine imagine saying like oh this running back who gets 2.9 yards per carry is great. I don't know what 57% of 5.5 is. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing two point close enough. 
eight or something. It's like, imagine a running back getting 2.8 yards per carry, but he got three touchdowns. And so he's good now. It's like, no one would say that, that this is, this is an offense that is playing badly right now. And they're not paying any price for it because their defense is so good. They get so many turnovers, so much favorable field position and scoring range. And the Titans game was the first time that Roethlisberger really got sat on, on those, those routes that he's been just dink and dunk underneath to everybody all year. The one exception was that one Claypool touchdown where he threw it about like 25 yards and Claypool still went another 45 on his own after the catch. And it's like if you subtract that play or rather if you take Claypool's yardage after the catch average and take it from like 97th percentile toward 60, 65th percentile where I think he'll eventually settle in at. It lowers Roethlisberger from 6.8 yards per attempt this year to 6.4 yards per attempt. And that's that's a bad you you need to be completing like. Yeah, it's like you need to be completing like 80% of your passes if you're going to be productive at 6.4 yards per attempt. And he's also been playing a bunch of bad defenses. Like the Titans one is probably the best one he's faced, and they're not that good. They, they don't have a Dory Jackson. So th- that was that was a game where I feel like it was – yeah, they were sitting on these underneath routes, getting these turnovers, and they still didn't play well on the defense. There were, I can't remember what exactly happened, but there were like three or four plays in the first half where Roethlisberger and other players had these – they're like fumbling and stuff, and like things just weren't bouncing the Titans' way. And even on the touch, the first touch on that Deontay Johnson had, a decent corner intercepts that pass. It was a bad throw, and Deontay Johnson didn't get open. He was double covered, and the ball just barely got through because the corner, Ty Smith, is like a cornerback five and doesn't play for a reason normally. But they had injuries, so he played. I don't know why Malcolm Butler wasn't on him that play, but if Malcolm Butler was on him, that's an interception, and it's not a touchdown. And this this horrid efficiency line that we get from Deontay Johnson's box score gets even worse. And the, you watch the way he, he makes these plays. It's basically stuff that has to do with the defense not taking him seriously. It's they're they're looking at Juju Smith Schuster and they keep leaving Deontay Johnson in these ISO situations outside and he doesn't get open, but like the corners do this thing where they over pursue him because they think he's fast, but he isn't. And they then they they he just gets this guy to like lunge at him like six feet ahead. Uh, where you know maybe a fast receiver who were sprinting would end up somewhere in that region, uh, but on the second touchdown on the right side of the field, the corner inexplicably just completely over pursues by like three yards, and it's like I could score a touchdown on that play, and and, and I I probably run like a six five or something. So those are the good plays, and then there's all these other bad plays showing up in the efficiency of the yards per target numbers and things like that. Those those good plays were by like a thread. They were they were made by just a hair, and I'm supposed to believe that this this can just turn into a a, a beautifully uh, like explosive arrangement here. Like this, I think this 57% catch rate at 5.5 yards per target is happening for a reason. And I like this game actually to be a setting where Roethlisberger's limitations finally show up in the box score. That, my friends, was the Jeremiah of the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. Yeah, Tremendous. I think. I think the Steelers. I think the Steelers are in a lot of trouble here. They'll play well, and Roethlisberger is still composed. I want to be clear; like he's playing smart with what he has to work with, but I don't think he has much to work with. Like he's he's very limited in what he can do, and he's he's still wily and he's still smart and he still makes, uh, you know, those those just he has that knack for for making the play that you know guys like Ben Roethlisberger do, and we don't know why it is, and we don't know why the other players can't do it, and he always can. He can still do that. But he's playing with like – forget a red zone offense of playing like a 20-yard field every single play. He's playing with a 10 to 12-yard field every play. And I he, he's – you have to be a magician to make that work forever. And I don't think you can make it work forever, especially when you're going to Baltimore. Okay. Yeah, the, the Baltimore defense, uh, last we saw it, 
um, didn't have Yannick Ngakwe. Now they do. So, I mean, that adds another layer to, I think like the pass rush had been a bit of a, of a weak link um, in this Baltimore defense um, that figures to be boosted by, by that addition. So, um, how has this Steelers offensive line looked if, like versus their pass rushes? And, and like, could this be like another thing that, that leads to, um, some Roethlisberger regression here? Uh, I think the offensive line is fine. Don't get me wrong. I, I haven't studied them closely at all. I, I, I might've missed some. Burger pretty much always looks comfortable. Uh, like he has for about five years now. So I'm not expecting the Ravens to really rattle him with the pass rush. Uh, I guess, I mean, in, how is it Ngakwe? Is that how it's pronounced? That's, yeah. If he if he's able to step in right away and and play, then I think he will improve them meaningfully. So that that that'll be interesting because I think the corner personnel is pretty well set up here. I, I think uh, yeah, I think these corners are the last corners that these Pittsburgh receivers want to face, and I don't think Roethlisberger wants any of this setting really either. I do think that this is a game that the Ravens could still nonetheless lose because it is bad looking generally for the Ravens offense going against the yes. Pittsburgh offense. But I, I guess, you know, you, you might even be able to argue that the, the Steelers project better to run against the Ravens defense than the Ravens do against the Pittsburgh one. Yeah. I do think though, and not that I can take it for granted that they will, but I, I do think they set up uh, enough kind of deep shots against this defense. They'll eventually start interfering with your receivers or just getting, uh, torch like if, if you get Marquise Brown and Joe Hayden don't waste that play with with like a curl just just go deep every time make that guy run with him every single time uh, it, maybe it works most times but it, all you need is that one time and you're in scoring range and in a game like this that's if they're at least if the Baltimore defense plays the way I think it will then that is I think the way that they can get a margin for for winning it okay um, that yeah that's that's really good strong analysis there um, I guess we'll touch on the, the two or three other like fantasy relevant guys for, for, uh, the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, I, you know, if you look at the, at the side-by-side comparison there, it's not actually all that different from where it was a season ago at this time. But I, I think a lot of people have labeled him as like a big di- fantasy disappointment. Um, it, uh, that sort of thing. I th- a lot of weight I think is being placed on, on that chiefs game, but what do you make of him in the in like the you know where he is at this point in the season and you know can this Ravens offense kind of find its other gear the way that it did around this time a year ago? Um, it could improve for you could argue that there's certain things that they could do schematics wise of just personnel play calling wise to make things easier on themselves. I happen to think that if they put Devin DuVernay at starting left outside receiver or, and got him additional snaps in the slot at really sneaked expense, adding that speed threat and that, that, that ability to run after the catch is going to make the corners and the safety personnel on his side of the field play fundamentally differently. And if they keep playing the way they have all year, you specifically can attack them over the top and hopefully open up the underneath that much more for, I don't know, Boyle and Andrews and in, in the running game, uh, maybe make me maybe make it a little easier for Lamar that corner uh, exchange where he just you know gets past the defense and splits the the remaining defensive backs. It's like maybe you slow the safe, maybe you keep the safety a step enough slower over this way and, and clear that up for Lamar Jackson and you know things like that. They start adding up and and you start to have uh, you know the feeling of a breakout scenario again. And they definitely lost something. Part of it I'm assuming is Lamar playing on the the knee issue. 
And part of it is that uh, defenses have kind of just started sitting on uh, Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, and losing Marshall Yanda didn't help. So they're, they're not quite dominating even on the ground the, the, the way they did before. Right. So I don't actually see a way for it to get better unless they start doing different things. And adding Des Bryant to the practice squad is one of those things like there's no precedent for it. So I, I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm not that optimistic about it. And more importantly, I feel like they're missing the point that – uh, they, they should be investing further in adding another speed corner threat. Like the, 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 the general dynamic that makes Lamar Jackson in this offense difficult to stop and, and makes it at its best when it is at its best is you've got the defense completely imbalanced. It's, it's like when you're in, you know, baseball and the pitchers thrown a, a, such an array of pitches that the, the guy in the, uh, the batter can't even begin to kind of get a rhythm down and he doesn't know where to look and he just can't get anything going. It's like you need to get the defense to the point where – Every development on the on the field is ambiguous to them, and they're not sure where to go. And while they're spending time thinking, you've got guys like Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown running instead. And you got to get that set up, so you have to start surprising them more. Like they've gotten into a pattern of of knowing what to look for, when, where, how to stop these various things. And you need to add new details so that they have to recalibrate everything. And while they're recalibrating, hopefully you're surprising them with these big plays and and you know getting some points on the board. So I think you make it work what best when you get. Those corners, the left corner of the end zone, the right corner of the end zone, the middle of the field, you want the defense to be concerned with those areas foremost. And then that's how you get room for Lamar Jackson to run outside. And when Lamar Jackson's running outside, the defense can't defend the middle with the run. And then you get Gus Edwards the ball. But they're missing that other corner. They're missing that that other corner uh, opposite Marquise Brown. And I think it's as simple as defenses are sitting on the two-thirds of the field the, the only two thirds of the field where they can actually threaten anybody. And they need it yeah. to be more like the bills offense where you have a John Brown to the Stefan Diggs. And I think Devin Duvernay can be that, but if they're thinking Des Bryant is the solution, then I don't know that they're really catching on. Oof. Yeah. That, I don't have particularly high hopes for the Des Bryant experiment. I do think that right now he could step out there and do better than miles Boykin can right now though. Even though yeah, maybe. is, is like and probably I mean, like half a second faster on the 40. The guy's still only like 31, you know, <laughs> he's been out of the league for two plus years and he's he wasn't even that old when he was, uh, you know, pronounced uh, toast. So we'll see. But uh, I think the basic problem is they need to they need to threaten that other corner to open yeah. up everything else because the field is smaller right now and it, that makes it harder on the offense always. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where we knew coming into the year that it was, and that's what made it so appealing for fantasy to go after like guys like Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown. The target tree was so narrow, but it, that while that remains true, it's not like we fantasy guys are the only ones that are hip to this. Defensive coordinators, like you were saying, are fully aware that if you just remove those two guys from the equation and you can do that when there's no third option threatening, then it's a lot easier of an offense to stop, especially through the air. Um, so that that is something that they'll need to get figured out um, because right now it doesn't feel like Marquise Brown is playing at at that high of a level. Mark Andrews hasn't really, uh, you know, he's he's at his weeks, but he's also had more kind of invisible weeks. Um, and then one other point uh, to make here, uh, going back to that uh, strength of schedule down the stretch, uh, no pass catching unit has a uh, has an easier road the rest of the way that, than the Ravens, according to our metrics. So a buy low on a Marquise Brown might actually be advisable at this stage, but you're not buying low on Willie Sneed or, or uh, Miles Boykin or anything like that. Um, I think to Verne, it's worth adding if he's free in some leagues because if they put him out there 
again, he had that long play that would have been a touchdown if Lamar had it on target. And in this limited sample of the season as it is, imagine the difference in people's perceptions it would have made of not only DuVernay, but even Lamar, if he had like a 70 yard, 70 more yards and a touchdown on his box score and what that would do to his YPA, that one play. And, and that he missed it because they missed it because Lamar missed it. So mm-hmm. I think it's insane that the Ravens have even taken this long to go back to DuVernay. It's like, recreate that play. Lamar will hit it next time, and then we'll all of a sudden believe, like, oh, DuVernay should be out there, and everything will be fine. Okay. All right. I'm in. Let's get on over. Titans, Bengals. Titans, obviously, in, in a spot to crush in this one. Titans, five-and-a-half-point road favorites over under, checking in at 53-and-a-half. Bengals coming off the, the tough loss uh, to the Browns, the last-second loss. What do you make of this matchup? It's weird uh, the way the Bengals have been pretty much all year. And and even in their good moments, Burrow's getting hit too much. But last week was pretty impressive. And, you know, T. Higgins, he's here to stay. So yes. adding that to John, uh, to, to Tyler Boyd and uh, A.J. Green, hopefully getting a little bit of a rhythm the past couple of weeks. That's three receivers who, you know, that you can keep hit, hitting the quarterback and you can keep even blitzing the quarterback but you probably don't want to blitz quite as much as you did back in week one. And I guess, you know, I don't know what it is with Burrow. If it's like he's getting hit so much that even a little help won't make any difference. Or if it's one of those things like every little bit helps, but if you're getting hit 15 times a game, I'm just going to assume you'll take the 12, uh, even if it's not that much better. And maybe he's going to start getting hit 12 times per game instead from now on. So maybe, maybe there's something to build on there. Um, I do think that the, the Titans, have such a big offensive personnel talent advantage in this game that I don't really see how the, the Bengals can win it, I guess, unless Tannehill Tannehill does have a, a bit of choke in him. He gets scared sometimes. And when things go off script, you can see him get, you can see the actual fear in his face and just <sighs> routine plays. So that's when, you know, it's going to go badly for the Titans, but I don't know if the Bengals are the type of team to bring that out of him, uh, especially with the stakes being as they are and the Titans favored as they are, I would, I would sooner be distrustful of their, of their defense. Yeah. I'd sooner be distrustful of Tannehill against like a team like the Steelers, of course, or just a good team. But uh, anyway, I think the Titans should be fine. I, I, it seems like it's gotta be a good Derrick Henry kind of game, but if not those corners, especially Darius Phillips cannot cover AJ Brown, uh, whoever's on Darius Phillips has to be productive in this game. And uh, William Jackson, even if he is on AJ Brown a lot, I just think AJ Brown is one of those guys who doesn't really lose that many matchups. You can be a good corner and still uh, at a deficit to him and his talent. Uh, but on the Bengals side, you know, aside from uh, Burrow taking his hits, I, th- I think T Higgins should be just fine against these corners. He's quite a bit bigger than both of them. AJ Green's not as heavy as Higgins, but he's qu- obviously quite a bit bigger than both of these corners too. And then the nickel corner is—I don't even—it's kind of change. It's subject to change, I think, uh, with Christian Fulton being hurt and some other stuff going on. But it's a seventh-round Marshall corner, Chris Jackson, going against Tyler Boyd. That's a big green light for Boyd. Okay, nice. Yeah, so we we have Boyd as our receiver twelve, uh, T Higgins our receiver twenty-two, and AJ Green our receiver twenty-seven. So three startable options from this. Uh, Cincinnati uh, receiving oh, core. If there's Go a on. prop on uh, personal foul penalties called in a game, put some money on Jeffrey Simmons. <laughs> that dude is wild. He's, he's really gonna, good. He's but... going to just like forearm Joe Burrow to the temple or something and get ejected. <laughs> oh, highly, highly possible. And then um, I guess one last thing. Joe Mixon did not practice Wednesday. 
probably doesn't look great for him. And then it's another situation we've seen it a few times this year. And I mean, it's smart, uh, a guy that's maybe 50, 50, or maybe a little bit less than that to play, but also has a buy on the other side of a matchup. What, will just kind of like get the you know bubble wrap for the extra week. I mean, we saw with Dalvin Cook, saw with yeah. Devontae Adams, uh, Michael Thomas before things beyond the ankle started becoming an issue. <laughs> so um, I, I think that there, there's, if you have Mixon out there, I think there is a legitimate risk that you're out without him again and then a third time with the bye coming up week nine. Yeah, it should be a good setup for Gio Bernard. It's, it's a lot easier to run on this Titans defense, I think, than uh, whoever – I don't remember who they played last week already, um, but I don't know what he sets up for as a pass catcher in this one because uh, he, he's probably going to have Jayon uh, Brown watching him, and I would probably give Brown the advantage there. So uh, still a good flex play in season long or whatever if Mixon's out and he's a worthwhile DFS consideration, but I wouldn't consider him like a square, a free square pick, uh, although I said that last week and he you know had whatever, 18 points or whatever it was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was totally uh, fine last week. Um, let's get. On. We've got the team that the Bengals just played, the Browns, uh, hosting the Raiders. Uh, two teams that I think are, are doing a little bit better than than I would have expected um, earlier on in the in the year. The Raiders kind of came back to earth or got a reality check in the form of uh, a rolling Tampa Bay Buccaneers team a week ago in in the Pirate Bowl. Um, the Browns, the impressive. Uh, comeback or you know just trading blow for blow with with the Bengals uh, Baker Mayfield being uh, you know basically perfect for for most of the day and and you know an Oklahoma-esque five touchdown performance from him uh, despite not having Odell Beckham out there Um, how does this set up for for the Browns offense going up against the Raiders now that there's no OBJ yeah it sucks of course anytime a player gets hurt and anytime a player is good as Odell Beckham, it's painful for everybody, and, and this, of course, is fantasy investors. I happen to think that Rashard Higgins is quite good, so I think they can they can replace the underneath and intermediate type functions and some of the some of the like post intermediate sideline type routes. I think Higgins can get open on some of those, but he's not really a fly route guy. He doesn't really he's not really a post route guy. Uh, he's, he's, he, he can make some of the, he can get open on some of those longer plays, but it's like, you're going to need deeper drops or like bootlegs for him to have enough time. Cause he's not going to just jet past a defender. Like he needs, he needs some room, some time to set them up and, you know, with head fakes and, and just slight bits of deception, create uh, uh, openings for himself, uh, later in the routes. But otherwise you're going to have to go to him kind of like underneath where the, where the fact that he's maybe not running that fast doesn't matter as much because you're not waiting for him to go as far either. But in terms of intermediate and kind of, uh, I don't know, like uh, he's not like a yards after the catch guy specifically, but he's just a really good route runner. And he, he's always been a really productive guy, uh, or at least after his NFL, his second NFL season, he became productive and team, uh, which is of course when Baker Mayfield was good. Right. We all, I, I, I thought he was good. Um, that was a lot to do with Higgins. He had 53 targets on 484 snaps, which is not a ton, but for like a wide receiver two type, he's enough or that, that's enough for him. And he caught 39 of those for 572 yards. Now 50 targets, 53 targets is not a ton. Like uh, they, they're about that's, that's flash in the pan territory still. Um, but he was just pretty much automatic on that. He, he was, he was really high efficiency and catch rate, high explosiveness for the yardage 
four touchdowns on 39 catches. Like this is somebody who can create openings at the catch point. Like maybe he can't run away from a defense, but he's tough to stop in these one-on-one coverage situations. I think he could be a lot like Tyler Boyd if the Browns gave him a chance. Now they're not going to let him be Tyler Boyd because they have Jarvis Landry and his contract to justify and Mm -hmm. Landry can't play outside. So Landry's going to get those slot reps that would normally be necessary for this Tyler Boyd analogy to, to totally bear out. But I still think Higgins can play enough outside and get open enough underneath outside around the sideline that with Beckham, the void of targets caused by Beckham's absence should like, I don't know, 80, 85, 90% go to Higgins. And I think Higgins is good enough to maybe not be better than like average efficiency wise in that kind of escalated workload, but I don't know where else the ball can go. And Hooper's out this week again. So I, I feel like Higgins has to stay involved and in PPR, I, I think he's pretty much golden. Okay, and then w- one more guy um, on on the Browns side. I thought I was out. Might have gotten sucked back in. Donovan Peoples Jones. Oh yeah, uh, that's a tough one. I would guess him. Crazy and... athlete, but he's always been a crazy athlete. He just hasn't produced worth crap. Yeah, I mean to be fair, I thought he was a pretty bad college player, but he Terrible. he was so young and he's so athletic that he's one of those guys who, you know, some some players improve over time. And sometimes they don't improve all at the same rate, but based on, you know, where they're starting at in terms of skill set and athleticism and, and the age that the, if they're at like a developmental viable age range at the time, you, you have reason to project certain growth uh, possibilities. And Peoples Jones has it. I mean, he, he doesn't turn 22 until February. Uh, he did at least get on the field quite a bit at Michigan and he got a decent amount of usage. Uh, especially uh, his sophomore year, 600 mm-hmm. yards, eight touchdowns in, in 13 games. So if you're if you're good enough to do that kind of production at that age and you're as athletic as he is, then it's one of those cases where it makes sense to kind of just bet something on him because maybe he never gets any better at these deficiencies of his. But if he does, he will improve so much more rapidly than other players because of those physical tools that he has. Uh, so it's like each, each like one point gain in skill – uh, level it's like he gets two points of of practical growth because his athletic tools like amplify everything so much and you know that was that was a good play he made last week uh, he only has four targets on 82 snaps part of that might be because they were putting him out there in like run blocking situations and maybe they weren't really giving him a shot maybe last week three targets on 36 uh, sna- uh, snaps maybe that was his first shot but he passed the and the, the play that he made on the touchdown was a play that not every receiver can make. So I think he's going to split snaps with Kaderil Hodge initially as kind of like their downfield receiver, like most of the downfield routes that Beckham would have run. I would sooner guess go to Peoples-Jones or Kaderil Hodge than Higgins. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because Hodge, if he's in there mucking it up, it's, it's hard for Peoples-Jones to do anything on 20, 25 snaps. Sure. But he could get more snaps. He could push aside Hodge because I'm pretty sure Hodge can't really play. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so either. I always thought it was it was like kind of weird earlier this year when seeing him out there as much as so we dumb. did. So um, he's yeah, he's a that, slow downfield specialist who's skinny. Like that's that's a good college player. It's not a pro prospect. No. So that yeah, that 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 holy trinity there, <laughs> um, uh, of confluent uh, skills. Um, on the Raiders side of things, people I can't quite tell if they're joking or not. But do they? Are they serious in in saying that Nelson Aguilar is a thing? I guess so because he he's a tough case, but I do think by now it's pretty clear that Philadelphia was mishandling him. 
that's uh, that's not to say that he was always bad there. I know he even even in Philadelphia had that good year. His uh, his third year, I guess it was when he had the eight touchdowns. But they were they were making the same error with him that I thought Jacksonville had been, always been making with D.D. Westbrook, which is to say they were making an outside receiver play in the slot. And I know he's getting some slot reps, but those reps are generally going to Renfro. And I think they generally are going to Ruggs more than Aguilar, too. So Aguilar has basically functioned as the number one outside, pure outside receiver in this Raiders offense. And he's been really good. And I think it makes sense because the things that he was bad at, basically holding onto the ball, withstanding traffic generally, that was stuff that he's bad at and you would expect him to be bad at because he's so skinny. Like he's six foot – I know he's listed at six foot 198, but uh, I don't know. I don't really believe that. Uh, he, he's, but he's got that kind of just skinny build that it, he, he's always had a leverage and density disadvantage when you send him into the middle of a defense and, and have him get hit over the middle of the field. And then he drops a few passes, gets the yips real bad. Uh, can't think straight when he's on the field. And, you know, the fact that he's talented at these various things don't matter anymore because he's not being applied toward those tasks and these tasks that he's getting applied toward instead. He's just no good at it. And he, he basically doesn't want to be there and he's spooked. And so, like, the change of scenery and the change of position really, you know, minimized his his uh, faults as a player and, and kind of amplified the things that he is good at, which he's always been good at creating separation. Even with the Eagles when he was dropping a lot of passes, he'd get open, but then he'd drop it. Uh, so he, he was always good at creating separation and he was always good at running in the open field too. Like at USC, I'm pretty sure he was a really good punt returner. Uh, so he, he's really fast too, uh, but he was always skinny and he was, he never had much of like a, a power game to him. So just remove the power element. That's what the, the Raiders have done. And, uh, he's going to fall off. Like he's not going to be able to keep averaging, you know, 15 yards per target, 75% catch rate. He'll fall more toward the baseline eventually. Uh, but as far as the task of playing outside receiver goes, I think he's pretty clearly their best guy at the moment. That's yeah. I would not have expected that coming into the year. Um, I, I thought that Ruggs was going to be that guy. Uh, well, he's kind of, Brian he's like Edwards. their number one overall receiver, I think, but it's like, he's, he's getting a lot of slot stuff uh, and getting a lot of outside stuff where I think Aglor is mostly just kind of sticking to what he does best. Whereas Ruggs is kind of being asked to do a little of everything. And I think you could have also said that like, being the outside receiver, like number one outside receiver for the Raiders doesn't mean anything because Derek Carr doesn't push the ball down the field, but he's been playing a lot better this Since year too. Since the Chiefs game. Yeah, I mean, starting with that Chiefs, he threw to, to, to Ruggs downfield. So I guess even when even when Ruggs was out, uh, he wasn't really throwing to Aguilar downfield, but Aguilar was working fine. Now they add Ruggs, and it's it really seems like his speed elements, I guess – I don't know if it's just some kind of placebo thing in Derek Carr's head. Like he, he thinks like Ruggs is so fast. I can throw downfield now. And maybe he gets he has something in his head about how like it, it's too risky if there's no rugs. I don't know. Or maybe Ruggs really is just that good and really is causing that kind of effect. But, you know, two weeks now where the results have been pretty good. And I it, like that Tampa de- defense is really tough. This this should be a little easier. Uh, I, I will say Denzel Ward is really tough. Uh, but sure. I think they, they could just move Aguilar to the to the left side of the field because they so far haven't used Ward as a shadow in Cleveland. OK. And uh, again, to, to the car point, um, since week one against Carolina, when he had a very Derek Carr line of 22 of 30 um, for 239 and a score um, since then, he's completing 71.8 percent of his passes at 8.2 YPA with a 12 to 2 touchdown to interception. So like that's legit i mean that's that's yeah. very strong production over over a five game sample um since that season opener very not 
car-like. And, and his dot overall on the season is 8.6, which is obviously a far cry from where it's been in years past. Um, so It's like uh, it's slightly above average, whereas I'm pretty see, sure each yeah, of the last two years the he was one percentile. See? Yeah, it was like it, him and him and Bridgewater last year, like duking it out. And you, you could only separate it just because of uh, Carr having more attempts. But yeah, I mean, it seems like a, a light has gone on a little bit, playing with a little bit more confidence to go down the field. So I think that sets up pretty well for for uh, him and the rest of these uh, Raiders pass catchers um, on on Sunday going up against Cleveland. Um, I guess one one last thing. Uh, Josh Jacobs has had some, you know, like kind of concerning under the hood numbers, like not, not making a lot of people miss. Um, I guess we, we've known that that was not a huge part of his game, but um, overall hasn't been great this year. I mean, 3.4 y- uh, yards per carry. Not great. I mean, having five touchdowns, of course, is helping carry his his fantasy values. Got 18 catches, but I mean, is this something where we're starting to see some of the concerns that we had about Jacobs as a prospect kind of come to fruition a little bit? Maybe I I don't know if it's if he's had uh, any health you know factors limiting. He did his, his... he did miss uh, practice Wednesday with a knee. Or right, so I feel like he was getting a lot of practice rest last year too but that might have been more of like a proactive thing and maybe this is more like we're actually trying to repair him uh kind of thing so i don't know if that has anything to do with it i will say i absolutely expected him to have like a regression period because his results as a runner as as a rookie last year were really good and i i thought they were you know there was some credit a lot of credit to give him for that but it also struck me as just kind of within the range of possibility of like middle range possibility of what happens when a team simply tries very hard to make a player happen because Mayock wanted to look like a genius for taking this guy in the first round, even though he basically never played in college and had a terrible pro day. And I think Mayock is sensitive to the way he's portrayed. And I think he really wanted to make this thing happen. And I think they kind of did. And he did his part, but it wasn't in a like. I had no trouble looking at Josh Jacobs last year and and recognizing that the, there was nothing in common between him and a player like Nick Chubb, you know. And I think a lot of people, and especially the people who just look at fantasy football points and PPR points to to understand the nature of reality, they look at Josh Jacobs and they see a better player than Nick Chubb. Like the they they really see that. That's what it is to them. And this happening is something that just like I feel like would be almost in, impossible for them to foresee. But it, it's kind of like um, it, it's not as bad of a, an instance of it, but it's like carry on Johnson his rookie year was this big thing. And I was like, man, I really didn't think he was a very good prospect. He didn't have any objectively unique traits as a prospect. He wasn't uniquely productive at Auburn. He didn't have great workout numbers, whatever. And then the second year he, he fell off and this year he's cratered, of course. So I do expect Jacobs to settle in as like a four yards per carry, 4.2 yards per carry kind of guy, more than the 4.8 last year. Um, and, and he could – bear out that exact scenario by simply having a few good games here. Uh, Cause we're, we're only six games in, of course, like if he has, if he has three good games, then he could be right back to where he was last year. But I think he's more so going to settle in at like the four kind of yard per carry range. And um, I, I expect him to be better as a pass catcher though. That's the one thing I can't figure out because uh, sometimes guys just take a minute to figure it out. And I, I kind of think that's what's happening here. Cause he was really good as a pass catcher 
at Alabama. So, so is, expect- it, is it like his efficiency or like his numbers per target that that are oh, off yeah, you, he's, or, he's or got, is it just like he's not getting the volume that you would he's expect? He's catching it. the ball, but he's not eluding anybody with it. So he's got 18 yeah. catches on 24 targets, but it's only 5.1 yards per target. It's like 5.1 yards per carry is sick because you're getting 100% of those usage uh, units, you know. But when you're only catching 18 of 24, 5.1 becomes less useful. Uh, you'd, mm-hmm. you'd rather be more like, you know, six and a half at least, something like that. But uh, <clears throat> I think the problem with Jacobs is that he's just not very elusive. Like he runs hard and he's got a good amount of anchor to him. So he, he goes, does a good job of like falling forward. And he, he's got some elusiveness. Like he, he's got flexibility and balance and stuff. It's just that these are traits that you can identify in like 40 NFL running backs. They're not mm-hmm. unique. It's unique when you're talking about a player like Chubb, when you're talking about like that next level vision and the ability to split the safeties while also breaking tackles and, and looking like Mr. N- Mr. Running back, uh, you know, with big shoulder pads who runs into tacklers real hard. Like that's, that's what Mike Mayock and Gruden are drawing toward, but it's, it's not adding up to more than it has because he just doesn't have the, the elusiveness and the speed, in my opinion, of, of some of these more big play running backs. Great stuff. Great stuff on Jacobs there. Um, let's get on over um, a matchup that I can only really compare to um, that like very, very early episode of South Park where, where Satan takes a dive against Jesus in the, <laughs> in the boxing match, yeah. um, because that, that's kind of what this sets in at. I mean, we, it, I mean, Vegas isn't like give it like a thousand to zero odds or whatever it was. Uh, but like, yeah, you, you put out, you put down nothing and you win a grand. Um, uh, on Jesus, but yeah, I mean, we we have a situation here where the, the Jets are plus eleven fifty on the money line. Um, they are what tw- uh, nineteen and a half point um, underdogs. So th- this is the true test uh, of you know the the fifty fifty that uh, kind of dynamic that that Vegas sets by by putting the lines uh, where they do. I kind of think that the Jets might be able to cover just because that number is so huge. But yeah. like, dang, man, like this is that. I mean, this is like the ultimate just like beat down scenario potentially. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to imagine the way it might go. And it's rough for the Jets because even if Jamison Crowder is back and I don't know if he is. You generally don't want to go against the Chiefs if you're a slot receiver dependent offense because Tyron Matthew can really throw off your, your plan there. And if Matthew does more or less neutralize Crowder, then what are the Jets going to do in response? I know Denzel Mims, he played last week, played uh, 45 snaps or whatever, got seven targets. That's good to see. Didn't do that much with the targets, but it's one of those things like, could anyone have? I don't really know. It's t- tough for me to to make any sort of call based on that one game. I'm, I'm still imagining Mims as this guy who's, got certain strengths but certain limitations and I, I in any case don't really expect them to become uh like consistent uh you know i, I don't think he's going to be a, a rounded consistent player i think he'll be kind of explosive but kind of prone to disappearances at, from time to time uh but the interesting thing about him is so much of the way he succeeded in college didn't really even have to do with necessarily getting open. And that might've been because of his routes being predictable. I don't really know. Uh, we know he's really fast and he can jump out of the gym and he's six foot three. So the catch radius, the ability to run and present a moving catch radius is substantial with him. And even if he's getting covered, well, he might be able to win on jump balls because he is so springy and tall. So the fact that he's got a tough matchup against guys like Bashad Breland and Rashad Fenton in this case it might still make him tournament viable in DFS. And, and, you know, if you're in a deep season long league, you know, who cares? 
could probably do worse. But uh, he basically doesn't need to get open to necessarily present a viable target. And he might get open. And if, you know, if he does catch the ball and has some room, 4-3-9 speed will, will do the work that it needs to. So there's various ways it can go right for him. And there might be a little bit of a funnel toward the outside receivers if Matthew is, is, is reducing Crowder's functions from, from, what it norm, from its normal baseline. So I guess I could see uh, someone like Mims, maybe Perriman, I guess, even doing something in a – tournament setting for DFS um, and maybe even kind of helping them get a backdoor cover there. But in terms of the Jets defense versus the Chiefs, it's like I, I don't I don't know if they're going to get stopped them on a single drive, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's there's no personnel on that Jets defense that, that would make you think, yeah, that yeah, that they they can be the reason why a Chiefs drive sputtered out. Has there ever been as much of a like immediate and like potentially gruesome looking revenge game? Oh, right. And and, (laughs) I mean, it's yeah, it's crazy how how much Le'Veon Bell probably just wants to stick it to Adam Gase. And and, uh, well, not crazy. Like, I understand it and I would want to do the same thing. But yeah, I mean, this sets up so beautifully that, you know, it's such a recent breakup, too. Um, So this this could get nasty in, in a hurry. Do you like. Are you going to go after him in DFS this week? I haven't looked at the prices yet, but I am going to consider it. And I don't think it's even, I don't think it's being like a, a, a I don't think it's being silly or whatever to in, indulge that narrative. I love because, being silly though. Yeah, but indult, but it's like, it's at once silly, but it's not. So it's, it's like worth considering. The only thing I'm going to really try to get a, a, try to figure out is like how chalky that would be. How, how many people are in on this novelty angle? Cause if he's going to be like some kind of mega chalk, then it's like, ah, eh, what's the point? But uh, if, if, if it's one of these things where people view him as a lottery ticket this week, then I probably want to buy one of those tickets because uh, maybe he doesn't do a whole lot. But if this spread is vaguely sound and, you know, there's an additional objective reason to keep an eye on, like, what if Sammy Watkins doesn't play? Do we really think Demarcus Robinson does as much as Sammy Watkins? If the answer is no, then the backfield could pick up some of it. Uh, not that Watkins is declared out or anything, but it's it's another. If if he is out, then it would make me that much more curious about Bell. Um, but he should be able to run on them, and if Mahomes especially is out there, they'll be moving the ball, and in time it'll be in scoring range. And if Bell is the running back when they are, it's like that that all could sort itself out pretty easily. Okay, I like it. And then um, some some things have been made about Tyreek Hill. It, arbitrary because he he was one yard short of, of 100 yards in, in week two, but doesn't have a 100-yard game yet this season. Uh, he is going up against the Jets. He is coming off a game in which he had 10 targets. Um, is this a, a, a like complete blow-up spot for him uh, on Sunday? It could be. Those corners can't run with him. I, I mean, I think Brian Poole is good, the slot corner, and Hill will probably see him a couple times. But I'm thinking about how Greg Williams always likes to do that. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, like the corners up close to the line, and then a single high safety, really high, like really w- way far back. And I wonder if he's just going to do that, and instead of having that safety be in the center of the field, if he's just going to be directly over Tyreek Hill, basically every play. And if they do that, it at once could do – maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll have some sort of effect, but maybe not. Uh, it's almost like you're giving Hill too much space with how deep Williams puts that safety. You, you almost want to put the safety who's over Hill at like 20 yards and, yeah, have them in an immediate like side pedal. Don't even have them facing forward. Have them have their back to the sideline 
uh, over the top of Tyreek Hill. Because if you're giving him like a 30-yard distance between the press corner and the single high safety, he can just beat the press corner with those 20 yards, you know? Yep. And then then the other guy can't tackle him because he's it's too hard to tackle him. So he could have a big game irrespective of what Williams does strategically. It's just one of those things like if, if Williams does do that, does Mahomes just instead – kind of ostensibly take an easier thing. Just look over at the other side. It's like, Oh, uh, you know, Kelsey's one-on-one with the safety. I guess I'll just take 12 yards every play, uh, until they stop doing this thing over Tyreek. And then, then just so far this year, no one stopped doing that thing. Like they, the, the reason they're not really going to Tyreek that much is because their the defenses have simply made the choice. Like let Kelsey kill us instead. It's slower that way. It's a slower death. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I see, so I see that's, saying. That's kind of what it's been, and you know he only needs like three plays to put up, uh, obviously like um, thirty fantasy points or whatever. So he, he could do it, um, and I think I'd want some DFS exposure. But they don't need to use him either, you know. Like they could, they could, they could cover this, come close to covering the spread without him too. For sure, for sure. So I mean, it, there's just so many w- ways in which the, the Chiefs can go about this one. Um, I am going to, you know, have to. Go into my like David Blaine orb of of water uh, floating above Times Square or something to figure out if I want to go with the Jets covering 19 and a half points against this Chiefs team. Uh, so I'll report back on what I do there. Um, let's get on over. We got the Patriots going up against the Bills. The Bills did not cover against those Jets a week ago. <laughs> Pretty yeah. wild, if you ask me. I didn't catch a, a whole lot of, of that Bills-Jets game. game. I, I, don't, I don't think you can blame me for it. I will not be blamed for it. And the Patriots game, that, I mean, what is going on with New England right now? I really don't know. I mean, uh, Cam must not have played well, irrespective of what's going on otherwise. But the receiver personnel is bad. I don't understand the thing about Edelman not getting a target until like the fourth quarter. When I looked at that box score, I thought he must have gotten hurt right away because it was like Jacoby Myers was playing. Uh, that Jacoby Myers was playing, I think, shows that they knew something wasn't working and that they had to change something. But it obviously wasn't a sufficient adjustment for, for, for the kind of dysfunction that they were looking at. And if if that's their best idea, then how the hell does this get any better from here? I don't really know. So going against Buffalo in Buffalo – I can't really imagine that being good for any aspect of the, of the Patriots offense that you could imagine if Allen struggles a bit more, if, if like John Brown and the receivers keep struggling, then maybe you can turn this into a Damian Harris slash Cam Newton running, you know, kind of thing to, to make it an ugly football game. Maybe they can compete that way. If, if Allen can't get it going and I don't know what to make of the bills offense. I'm inclined almost to bet on them getting back in this setting. Uh, if only because like as much as I think it's ridiculous, the way Josh Allen was talked about after the first three weeks and as much as his like loudest proponents are people that I just find annoying. Uh, I wouldn't call the, the last two or three weeks of s- relative struggle uh, for the Bills offense to, to have that much to do with Allen. Like John Brown's been dropping some of these passes early in games that, you know, games can swing on those types of plays. It's It can sometimes be the difference between a three and out in the first drive that the offense never really recovers from and a catch that gets them into a rhythm and, and they, they just never really look back in the game. So Brown's going to start making those plays eventually. He's not a bad receiver and Diggs isn't going to stay as quiet as he's been for long. So, uh, I can I would I would bet on almost Allen having his best game in a couple weeks here, 
even though the matchup looks tough and the matchup might not even be that tough anymore. Like JC Jackson's good. Jonathan Jones is good. Gilmore can probably still play a little, but they're still without a bunch of their guys who are starters. And I don't, I don't know if they, I don't know if the Patriots defense is actually that good. Like I, th- they, I think it's yeah, well they, schemed. They got, they got, um, you know, it looked at several times uh, in Sunday's game, like there was miscommunications or, or just kind of like missed I mean, Jeffrey Wilson is not that good, and Hasty ran all over them too. Right. So, you know, we we obviously know that Kyle Shanahan's like a great play designer, play caller, but like you've been on this for a while. Like Brian Dable rocks as well. So, like, I think that there's a chance that you know the the Bills have a schematic upper hand when, on offense versus um, this iteration of, of the Patriots defense. So. Yeah, I actually very much like the the Bills to cover the cover the spread. I think the Patriots are are truly in disarray. Yeah, and you can th- you can imagine Diggs having an advantage over Gilmore, even if Gilmore's on him. John Brown against J.C. Jackson, maybe maybe Jackson wins that one. But when you put in the the Josh Allen running threat, uh, if Singletary and Moss can even do a little bit, uh, just those three details alone, I think will make it really tough for you know most defenses and and Patriots included to to get any kind of real traction on, on the bills offense okay all right let's get on over got a pretty fun exciting game here um we got the dolphins going up against the rams this obviously being Tua tungavaloa's um debut as the Dolphins starter the the future starts now it's a tough spot for for him though going up against the Rams. Um, Seth Galina, Pro Football Focus, wrote an article this week just detailing how the Rams are playing a very futuristic brand of, of defense right now. Um, th- you know, doing things that no one else seems to be doing, and it, it's working out extremely well. Um, it's confusing a lot of opposing quarterbacks, and of course, that you know they have um, a front that that's able to get home, tapping into a little bit of, of you know. Uh, Leonard Floyd's town. They, of course, have Aaron Donald. So that's that's a tough defense uh, for a uh, first-time starter like Tonga Valoa uh, this week. Yeah, and their offensive line is pretty bad. So Aaron Donald against a bad offensive line is one of those things where it can just kind of cancel the game. Like <laughs> you, you just just the offense just doesn't get to do anything that. <clears throat> so it's 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 a dangerous spot, but I think he's a good prospect and. For whatever it's worth, I, I mean, a lockdown corner like Jalen Ramsey, while bad, like it's, it's not something any receiver wants to see. If you must see a player like Ramsey, I, I guess I would want it to be a player like Devontae Parker who's going against him because Devontae is one of those guys who doesn't necessarily need to be open to make the catch. And we saw that when he you know slapped up Stephen Gilmore last year, uh, especially the, the second game between the Dolphins and the, and the Patriots. It's like he can beat the top regarded corner in the league uh not that he not that we expect him to do it and you know most cases we would we would call ramsey you know we would expect ramsey to slow him down or whatever but this point stands you you want a parker receiver if you're going against the ramsey corner uh because he he can't be as big as him and and parker's one of those guys he runs like a four four five or whatever at at six three he's kind of got like a little bit of an aj green thing going on so Mm -hmm. uh those guys can create room for themselves even when they're covered hope he doesn't against Jalen ramsey though What's that? Hope he doesn't against Jalen. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that way anyway. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think, I think, uh, yeah, there's a chance. It's it's just dangerous. And uh, you got to give the Rams defense the favored status, I think. But it's like uh, if Tua just kind of gets out alive and, you know, doesn't 
doesn't get any of his receivers hung out to dry or anything like that, then, you know, that's all you can really realistically expect of him. Yeah. So I'm, I, I like the move, I think, um, to, to go to Tua. Um, it does feel weird given how well the, the dolphins were playing going into the bye, but it, it kind of, you know, we, we've, read the tea leaves before on certain things uh, like the Washington quarterback situation. It almost feels like this was one of those things where no matter what, how those first uh, six weeks went for Miami after the buy, they were going to go to Tua potentially. Um, and it feels weirder obviously because they, they were competitive in that window. Um, so moving off of Fitzpatrick feels a little well, bit strange. Tua's but, probably just better, you know, yeah. like Fitzpatrick, I know he was good enough and he's entertaining or whatever, but he's still not very good. Tua should be actually good. Okay. I'm excited for that. And I think that I could open up some things in, in this offense down the stretch. I just think it's going to be tough um, this yeah. time out um, on the Rams side of this. Um, what do you make a, of their projection? It looks like Josh Reynolds has been uh, this nice kind of surprise deep threat that, that I don't think a lot of people saw coming necessarily for, uh, yeah, for yeah. the Rams, but I mean, he's, his a dot is 13.8. Um, the, the catch rate isn't great, just over 62, but he hasn't dropped anything either. I'm getting a lot of the team air yarded share. So I think that Reynolds is kind of working his way um, onto the radar. I know that the production has been bolstered by touchdowns in back to back weeks, but Going against Miami, I think it could happen again. Yeah, it's tough for me to tell because I still don't know if the if the Dolphins' defense knows what it is yet. I don't know if I should expect them to kind of get better over the course of the year, especially with all the new personnel that they have. But in and therefore too, I can't tell if if it's going to be one of those games where McVay actually gets clever and tricky, or if he's more so going to kind of keep his playbook closed so as to save it for a divisional matchup later or something like that. Um, I'm a little skeptical of Reynolds keeping it up. He's a tough one. He's, he's he's tough to evaluate because he was always really productive in college, including early in his college career. It's just one of those things where does he have the build and the athleticism so that his skills can actually matter in the NFL? Because you can have all the skill in the world, but if you don't have the athleticism to kind of like put it, like give it energy motion, it doesn't really matter. And he's not fast. He runs like a low four five at a very skinny build. So for a while I was kind of losing the faith on him because I was like, this is Josh Reynolds is basically the answer to the question of what if Robbie Anderson was not fast. And that's that's uh, one of those things where it's like maybe he could still be good. Uh, like it's, he, he can definitely play receiver as in doing receiver stuff. It's just like does he have an uphill battle against all of his peers because of them just having a naturally easier task than him? Um, but, you know, normally you don't want to be as skinny as Reynolds and Anderson are because it's just a way for another way for things to go wrong. Like you can't box somebody out. They can knock you around a little easier. And in Anderson's case, having four three five speed overrules it. But Reynolds doesn't have that. He's got the hot. He's got the low four five. So I feel like he's kind of he's kind of had his like best case scenarios happen recently. And even though I think Van Jefferson was a terrible pick and not that great of a prospect, I, I feel like he's going to get back in a little bit eventually. So um, I'm not going to chase Reynolds or anything. But it's, as long as he has a role, it's one of those things like. Uh, if the Rams are scoring a certain number of points and he's playing a certain number of snaps, then you can kind of just defer to the team system because especially when you got a coach like McVay, who's so good at setting things up, you know, it's, it's, as much as it's true that Reynolds has these things working against him, McVay would also be one of the coaches, you know, most likely to, to, to help him 
gloss over it. Like it's not the same as if he was playing for Mike McCarthy or something. For sure. Yeah. The, um, yeah, the, the route combinations of Mike McCarthy systems horrifying. Um, let's see anything else, uh, fantasy wise to touch on, um, for, for the Rams in this one. Uh, not really. I don't know what they're rotating their backfield based on, but it looks like it's going to keep kind of going until, until Marcus, until Malcolm Brown looks slow again or something. Yeah. And, uh, I think Malcolm Brown has like no runs over 15 yards or has the lowest amount of them for, for, uh, players. They should get acres back in. I'm not really sure what they're doing with that. Uh, I mean, yeah, Malcolm Brown is another like replacement level guy a la a, a jamal williams type or, or something like yeah that. yeah zero uh runs of over 20 yards on 65 attempts um last year zero runs of over 20 yards on 69 attempts so yeah this is just not an explosive player and then you have a guy like acres that can be explosive and then darrell henderson of course it, it continues to run well um had 15 uh rushes a week ago is averaging 4.7 yards per carry yeah it, f- it feels like malcolm brown should be the odd man out it, it's just it's hard to know when um e- exactly that that's going to be so it, it, it's again like the for season long uh the, the cam acres experiment feels feels like it's not going to happen, but I still think dynasty wise, he's someone that, that, yeah. um, you know, has some value. Um, let's get on over chargers, Broncos chargers, the re- the watchability of the chargers now versus where they were the, the last few years is unbelievable. Like yeah. I, I want to watch the chargers now and you know, that Herbert, uh, making me eat my words as far as my evaluation of him. And I don't even care. Like it, he's so <laughs> fun to watch. Uh, he's, he's down to just, Chuck the ball deep down the field. He's got a great looking deep ball, uh, something that I feel like he just never uncased at, at Oregon for whatever reason, even though he had some decent receivers there. Uh, but whatever it is, man, like, you know, the him and the, the Keenan Allen connection is great. Get some stuff out of Mike Williams on top of it. So, you know, I, I love watching this Chargers team and going up to, to Denver this week. Like, I feel I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I can't wait to see Dable running that offense next year. Uh, it's going to be, yeah, they're already good, even with less than great coaching in my opinion or scheming anyway. Anthony Lynn's fine as a coach, but Dable, I think is going to leave Buffalo and go to the chargers after I think they're going to fire Lynn anyway, honestly Um, on that. I like it. Uh, but yeah, Dable with Herbert, who's just like a better version of Josh Allen, in my opinion. Uh, and then having, you know, that, that setup that's already there. Eckler, when he gets back is going to make them better. So it's it's pretty good looking, and uh, with that said, this is a this is a dangerous spot for him. I think uh, it's better to go to Denver this time of the year than earlier in the year. Uh, you know, barring snowstorms, it's it's better to go now than when it's hot. Uh, but it's still a little weird going there. And Vic Fangio is still you know the number one defensive coordinator that I would worry about having a confusing disguised coverage for my young quarterback. Uh, he's always making the Denver defense play pretty well, even though they've got these nobodies playing. It's like uh, Von Miller gets hurt, uh, Jeremiah Tauchu goes in, and but then he gets hurt, and Malik Reed, who uh, who cares? He goes in, gets four sacks in two weeks. So oh. Fangio is just really good at scheming, and Herbert might get his most confusing looks of the year in this game. But if he kind of just keeps his wits about him and remembers, like, just wait till I get a one-on-one with Guyton and I'll chuck it deep. Like, you keep making that throw – there's no real scheming way to get out of it as a oh, yeah, last, like, last week was like the ultimate like fantasy football clown car like you know the like so many people that that pretty much only complete 
like draft degenerates that like you and I are, are familiar with were getting in on the action. Like Joe Reed finally happened. Yeah, Joe Reed happened. Um, I still think Josh Kelly is going to be like I would if if the Chargers do win this. I think Kelly has a better game because he's running hard and stuff. It's just that offensive line isn't very good and uh, there's not much space for him. It's like he's he's kind of like a Jamal Williams right now who doesn't break tackles but is a faster and like moves the pile a little bit. Uh, it's just that he's not getting as many. He, Justin Jackson isn't going anywhere for the pass catching stuff, so it's it's hard for Kelly to get loose unless they get into a positive rushing game script where they're in control all day. And maybe that happens here. I have no idea. But in the meantime, uh, Keenan Allen versus Bryce Callahan is going to be a hell of a matchup. I I tend to defer to Allen there just because uh, he's in most or he's, he has the advantage in most cases. But Callahan is really good. Uh, his problem is that he's like 5'9", 180, and Allen's like 6'2", 220, uh, very good at playing through contact. So uh, the outside corners, though, I, I feel like uh, Mike Williams and Guyton should both be there for that deep shot if they want to take it again. And you know, it's one of those things like Herbert's due for some regression there. Like he can't keep hitting all these attempts, but he keeps hitting them. And yeah. it's like even if he regresses, it's at this point it's clear. It's like he's just really good at making that throw. Yeah, Jalen Guyton. 13 targets, 258 yards. Yeah. It's it's like he can't keep it up, but it's like they only have that one play and it hasn't failed yet. So get in, loser. We're having fun. Let's go. Like, I, I absolutely love it about this Chargers team that they, they suddenly really have become like my my Sunday um, afternoon window. I, I keep it on them. And then I flip to red zone on commercial where it, it used to just be re- strictly red zone for that window. Um, but but now Herbert has made them appointment television. Let's get on over a team that I usually actively avoid watching uh, when I can, and kind of both of these teams right now. Bears playing host to the Saints. Yeah, they all suck. Um, I guess Michael Thomas really was just a system product all this time, though, because uh, undrafted from Tennessee, like Tennessee wide receiver to Marquez Callaway just steps right into that role. They don't really <laughs> seem to notice much of a difference. Um, what was it? Is it Deontay Harris? Is that the name of that Kick return. Sure. I'm I'm not super familiar with him. I, yeah, I don't I'm remember fam- his name. I'm it's like he familiar does with this... Callaway. I, I was like I had him in a couple DFS lineups last week, but because I know I that there's he, some, he like some a, pedigree. He's like a sideline and downfield guy, isn't he? At Tennessee, he was. Yeah, so it's it's weird that he plays this Michael Thomas role and you know basically does it fine. Uh, so yeah, I guess Drew Brees and Peyton were always the system, and Thomas was always just a product of it. Uh, to be serious, it was always ridiculous that people were calling him the best receiver in the league. Obviously, he was not. With that said, I'm surprised at how these other guys are just plugging right in the exact same way. Uh, I don't know if that's the kind of defense you can get away with that against, though. I, I think the Bears are pretty well well positioned on defense. Their their personnel is pretty good. Their scheme is pretty good. The coaching isn't bad on defense. So, yeah, I hate this game. I don't want to see any of it. It could be really gross. Yeah, I think it will be uh, Monday night. Brutal to watch. That was one of the least engaging uh, Monday night games that that I can remember from this season. Um, yeah, I don't really have a, a ton to add. I mean, the, the bear, like Nick Foles, has, has turned into a pumpkin um, right before our eyes, like we were all expecting. So that, that Bears passing game continues to be limiting. Uh, Dave Montgomery still... David Montgomery, so I don't expect him to do a lot despite uh, getting plenty let's see. of volume. Uh, David or uh, Darnell Mooney, Louisiana, uh, New Orleans College Revenge oh. at okay. Chicago game, something. Okay, all right, good enough for me. Um, and also, 
what and a 2006 nfc championship game oh my god so, somebody needs to get revenge i don't know who i guess maybe sean payton um all right niners seahawks who are the know. 49ers i have no who idea. are these guys I, I don't know who the seahawks are either um do we know is is uh i don't know what shaquille griffin's injury was but that kind of helped them fall apart in the second half, I think, against the Cardinals, where uh, if you have Dunbar and Griffin as your outside corners, it's generally going to be tough to complete throws outside. But if Trey Flowers is on the outside, everything, your whole evening is planned for you right there. It's like, oh, can well, Jimmy I'll throw G at him. Them hurt for yeah, them. it's like, okay, I'll, I'll just not throw at the really good corner and I'll throw it at the bad one. And let's see if it works. And mm-hmm. it did. And to be fair, of course, you know, Hopkins even had that long touchdown against Dunbar. But that's just that's a DeAndre Hopkins play. Uh, you can't get DeAndre Hopkins plays from Brandon Ayuk. And I know he's been good, but it's it's been it's been a bit of an accommodated setup for him. And going back to last year, Debo Samuel, who I guess he's is he out for this. Uh, I'm, I thought he had some kind of hamstring thing flare up or something. So uh, if if he's out, that would make it harder, of course. And yeah, expected to miss multiple games is Debo Samuel actually. Okay. Yeah. With even if Griffin is out there, it's like that only really even matters, I guess, if you're talking traditional receiver routes, which I won't be running. So it's from a tempo and like over under standpoint, things look good for Ayuk and in the, the the usage, I should say. Uh, I can't really think of a reason against him as much as I don't, I can't, I can't easily imagine the way it works, but it, it you know, deferring to the over under and things like that, it, it has to set up pretty well for Ayuk. Uh, I don't know what to think of the backfield. I'm not convinced that Tevin Coleman, if available jumps in, like if I don't know what Jeffrey Wilson's status is either or McKinnon's hell, I don't, I don't know what anybody's really doing in that backfield anymore. Um, but if Coleman comes back and if Wilson is out, I almost would kind of expect Hasty to still be their lead runner just because the results weren't really there for Coleman before. And when you're when you're stretched this thin as a team and when you're the stakes are high, like in a game like this, a guy like Coleman loses some of the appeal because when they went when they went to Coleman the past year and a half or whatever, it was oftentimes when there was nothing to play for and and Shanahan shield at running back so he could save Raheem Mostert for later when they really needed him and this is too close of a game to do that kind of thing so we'll find out like conclusively whether Shanahan considers Coleman a yardage guy like an actual product productivity option uh because if he does he'll he'll go to Coleman of course over Hasty but if he sticks with Hasty over Coleman you could almost maybe read it as like you know this is this is too delicate of a task for Coleman we only use that guy when uh we're trying to bore the defense early in a game or you know run the clock out late in one okay i like that i like that read on this backfield um as it stands right now coleman is um the window is open for him to return but he's been out for a while so i don't know if if he's going to be ready to jump right in uh so the the two healthy running backs right now are jarek mckinnon and jamichael hasty so both of those guys I, i think could be uh have some dfs intrigue or you know if you're bit by the bye week um, with your yeah. running back situation, I think both those guys are fine streaming options going up against the Seahawks. And then um, I don't think DK Metcalf is going to get shut down two weeks in a row. So I'm looking forward to that uh, emphatic bounce back on Sunday. <coughs> Let's get to the primetime games before we wrap up here. Um, Cowboys and Eagles. Whatever. What um, <laughs> is Miles Sanders out still? I believe so. I think he was yeah, supposed don't let to him miss play. some time. Don't, this, is, this is beneath him. Uh, yeah. yeah, the Cowboys are so funny. I love it. So it's, it's like they're not even really 
like they as a team are almost kind of like the the U.S. Go, to go back to the U.S. Congress or something. It's like they're very openly saying like uh, like we're not even really trying here. We know this is a joke. This is a farce. We 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 know this is a farce, and we have so much contempt for you, the audience, that we'll basically tell you to your face that it's a farce. And and like well, we'll every time that the these Cowboys coaches like Nolan and McCarthy go to the press, it's like the whole conference is just them being like, well, you know, football is about doing everything you can to win. And, you know, when you lose, it's usually because, you know, the, the, I don't know. He said the, the defense has bad eyes and that's McCarthy being too much of a coward to just say, I'm blaming the, my players on defense for not doing the right thing, which I told them to do, but they didn't do. Like he's, he's getting up there and he's, he's, he wants to have it both ways of like blaming the defense and, and absolving himself without actually submitting that actual accusation like he doesn't he doesn't want the heat of of you know being credited with the quote and justifying the quote but he does want to make you know he he, wish, he wishes there there was somebody in the room to just kind of you know make the off pitch uh fake voice to say the thing that he's thinking but wants everyone to think somebody else said like <laughs> like, like a jim gaffigan um just uh, like in south park i guess they do that a lot like you know that voice <laughs> yep mm-hmm. uh i'll bet you can't like that that voice <laughs> oh yeah um, i bet he's doing the uh press conference version of that and he's, he's <laughs> saying these things and it's just like why are you like this you're an adult you're you're a guy that like you know you're gonna get fired anyway like what do you care just just say like and it is your fault why are you blaming the players anyway it's your fault it's, it's just ridiculous what a what a what a little man he is um, and Nolan apparently too. He was he was saying like, you oh, know, I'm I'm, t- I'm telling them to do this and they don't do it. What what can I do? It's like, well, Mike you're Nolan doing worse needs- than the last coaching staff and they sucked. So figure it out. Um, Mike Nolan needs to go back to wearing a suit. Someone needs to send Mike Nolan a like dance. Uh, Dan Snyder's good now. Dan Snyder sending um, the the pallets of melting ice cream to Mike Nolan's office at night. So when he comes in to work in the morning, there's all this melted vanilla ice cream all over the place. Uh, to, to criticize his vanilla defensive schemes. Hey, Dan, Dan when you're right, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, one other thing to, to add on here or two things, um, you know, the, the Eagles guys that were viable against the Giants a week ago probably should be once again, as long as their roles aren't different. So I think Richard Rodgers, if he gets the start at tight end again, I think that he is like a viable streaming guy for tight end. It's um, Rager time, man. It is oh, Rager. Is he going to play? I thought he was. Um, Fulgham still is fine, too. to be clear. Yes. Like, Fulgham, Fulgham's playing well, so, you know. And it's the Cowboys. If, it is the Cowboys. It's just, um, I think I think Fulgham's going to turn into their main, like, like their Alan Lazard, and I think Rager's going to be kind of like their – not not a Devontae Adams, but uh, I just mean like the big slot kind of function for Fulgham, sometimes playing out playing outside and too wide. Um, but Rager's going to start, you know, changing the complexion of the field, I think, outside. I, I'm very excited for that. I've held on to him through the long, cold fall uh, – waiting for for Rager to get to uh, get back activated. So if it happens against the Cowboys, I will I will be all over that. And then Bucks Giants finishing it out. Uh, the Giants 11 point home underdogs. The Bucks are rolling right now. Um, 
I guess a couple of points I wanted to make about the Bucks. Obviously, Chris Godwin being injured. Uh, my, or I'm sorry, Antonio Brown uh, not going to be available quite yet. I think it's week nine or after week nine that, that he will be good to go. So I think if you're frustrated by Mike Evans, and you should be, I think that he crushes this week. And I think then you can have a small, depending on, on who else is in your league, but a small window to sell high on Mike Evans before. Like, I... I have to say, John, I rarely feel this way, but I actually disagree with you here. Um, not so much the. I might have a, a simple brain, though. So I mean. Explain. No, I mean I'm I'm wrong about a lot of things, and this could very well be one of them. But I just do not buy this Antonio Brown stuff. I th- I think he's going to be there and be on the field, but I think it's a total Leonard Fournette part two, um, where it's like, yeah, he makes some plays and he shows up, and everyone's like, oh, it's Antonio Brown, and. We all have to stop and watch Antonio Brown on the new team for a minute. But this is an offense where like his usefulness is basically just due to Godwin being hurt right now. And Evans being hurt a little bit before precipitating this 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 panic and Tom Brady like, what if I have to play one game without all all star receivers? That's not <laughs> yeah. fair. And, it's not fair. Yeah. And so he did that in part because of Evans getting his ankle thing and Godwin getting a concussion. But Scott Miller is really good. And even if they're trying to make Antonio Brown a thing, he's just – what are the odds that he can actually be as good as Scott Miller has been this year? Uh, I, I, I think it's – you know, they could they could rig the playing time, of course, but they're going to get fewer returns. Like Miller is playing at a very high level, like one of the probably 25 best receivers in the league, something like that. So uh, I, I just don't think the Brown thing – can, can really be the kind of thing that changes the entire complexion of the offense. And I think that if Evans were healthy this whole time, he wouldn't have had this kind of sluggish stretch here. And some of it too, I think was just kind of the nature of, you know, we scored a billion points and we didn't even try. So why are we going to bring out Mike Evans now? Mm. Um, that kind of stuff. So, uh, but with this matchup, I actually see this as a reason to buy low on Evans after, because he's probably going to get shadowed by James Bradbury, who has been doing really good this year in general for the Giants. And he was also one of the guys that gave Evans the most trouble when he was still with the Panthers in the Uh. NFC South. So, I I mean, Evans can still win because Evans is one of those guys who, when he's on, there's just not anything you can do about it, really. I think Um, he's going to push for, like, you know, his season high in targets on top of it. So I I could see him not not being efficient because of what you were saying. But I still think that end result ends up looking pretty good for him. Sure. And I I think that works either way, though. But I I just think he's definitely the best receiver on that. And I love Godwin, but Evans is one of the, Evans is going to be like a hall of fame receiver, you know? And, and the idea that a 32 year old Antonio Brown is going to usurp him. It's, I just want to put money on the opposite, you know, that's totally fair. And, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not, not, uh, rah, rah for Antonio Brown, but I, I think that he's going to be annoying for, for oh, the yeah, he will these be. receivers. Like Whatever way it goes, he will be annoying as hell. We know that. Yeah. Yeah, so it could be just, you know, an, another thing that makes it tougher for um, Evans to to hit his ceiling uh, down the stretch. Um, it feels like Tom Brady, for whatever reason, is really gung-ho about Antonio Brown. I mean, obviously he only after- plays with uh, the all Madden teams like he 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 refuses to play with uh, the real uh, any real NFL team. He's that friend of yours that always wants to use the Pro Bowl team and cries if he can't. I'm not friends with that guy anymore. You know? I'm not either, but I just made him up. I, like I just made up that character and Tom Brady is him. That Yes, he is. Um, all right. Rounding it out. Anything to see here on the Giants? I think that's a very, very uh, 
Well, I guess they might run 40 plays, and if they run 40 plays, maybe Sterling Shepard can get five targets in there. I don't know. That's all I got. Yeah, brother. I mean, that's fine. We've we've gone long enough, and, you know, I think the the people – the people that are listening to this podcast are, are well aware on they the need to wake up and get back to work. Yeah. Get back to work. Silly nannies. All right. That's going to wrap things up for the Thursday Rotowire NFL podcast for Mario Puig. I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening and make sure you tune in for the Friday show DFS only Scott Jenstad, Andrew Laird. Great stuff every single Friday. So make sure you, you uh, subscribe, listen to that one as well. And again, thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.